Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. We acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours, a music podcast where we chat to a new guest each week, talk about their life and creative endeavours and talk to them about some of the music they love. Our show works by chatting to our guests about music, their songwriting techniques and occasionally getting them to make you a playlist of the songs they love. Welcome to episode 178. I'm your host, Simon Fink. Our guest today is Metric. The indie rock icons recently returned with their eighth studio record, entitled Form and Terror. In today's episode, we're speaking with Emily and Jimmy from the band about why this is their most important work yet, the band's songwriting process, and being part of indie rock history. Here we go. Our guests today are one half of legendary Canadian indie band Metric. Having formed over 20 years ago, the Juno award-winning band are back with their eighth studio record, which is entitled Form and Terror. Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Emily Haynes and Jimmy Shaw from Metric. Hello, how are we? Hello, hello. Yeah. Better now. <laughs> Thank you very much uh, for joining us, uh, both of you today. Where are you joining us from? Uh, we're both in Toronto, on opposite sides of Toronto, but both here. I can give you a pretty stunning view of the skyline if you want. How's oh, that? Yeah. Oh, whoa. <laughs> that pretty is nice. amazing. amazing. Yeah, it's good. Perspective. Yeah, that, that is a beautiful view that you have there. <laughs> Again, thank you both very much for your time today. I know that we are here. We're here to speak about Form and Terra. It is the brand new record from Metric. It's the eighth in the band's catalogue. Um, and it is a brilliant addition to a, to an already quite stellar um, catalogue. But firstly, congratulations on this record because this is a brilliant record. Oh, thank, thank you, Simon. Yeah, we put, put it all all on there, full double down. <laughs> <laughs> I think that there is a there's a there's a bit of a a fire to this record. There's a, a what's the expression? A fire in the belly. You can kind of hear that there's many things going on. Um, on this record, and I think Emily recently impressed you've you've said that this is aside from the band's debut record that this is the most important record that you guys have, have ever done. Yeah, and it strangely feels connected to me back to Old World Underground, um, you know, which is going to be twenty years ago, you know, next year that that came out, and it's funny how this happens in life, where like you go through time and it feels like it's going in one direction and you know, it's playing out and things seem a long time ago or, and then there's always those moments where the phrase sort of ends and then everything feels compacted. And suddenly you can say in one sentence, like, oh yeah, that decade that I lived in New York or that, that period of time. And that seems to be what's happening for me with 
you know, like really my life's work with this band is it's, there've been so many times throughout the making of all the albums that it's felt like we're going this way, we're going that way. We're there's push and pull. There's so much personal, you know, life happening in between all these years. And then I listen to old world underground and form and Terra. And it sounds like this is the peak. This is the natural, what we were trying to do. Then we have done now. You know, we, we were, we were, things are represented there. Even the first song, IOU, it's like a highly weird way to start an album, like with, you know, multiple sections, sort of again, playing around with like, what is this thing we're trying to create with the, you know, analog synthesis and rock and where do these things meet? Is this new wave? No, it's something else. And then lyrically, I'm like singing about a 10 year old soldier, you know, it's like not, not your usual sort of fodder for a band. So I, I'm having a bit of that. Yeah, like it's almost like it's being revealed to us what the hell we've been doing this whole time. <laughs> Odd feeling. Jimmy, is that the same case for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I guess, um, you know, I, I try to not really like think too clearly about where I'm at in the present moment because it usually feels like every time I've done something, it feels kind of like this is the best thing I've done. And then you look back and it's, you're like, oh, okay, no, I know I see it in more in context. And um, I just, I've become so acutely aware of the fact that I have no idea what context I'm in right now. I'll know context <laughs> now later. Um, and so I try not to really think about it too much. I mean, I, I know that when I listen to the record that we made um, now, I, I'm, I mean, I'm really, really proud of it. And, and I know uh, I know that we went to, like, as Emily said, like we put everything on, uh, on the line for it. I mean, we, we really, we really went for it. And, and a lot of that was circumstantial in the sense that we had so much time, you know, like we, we, there was, when we would have normally been done, we had an extra year, you know? And, um, and so we thought, okay, well, we have this time. Let's write as many songs as we can. And, and there was all these extra moments where I could, you know, I could wake up in the morning and think, you know what? I think that little snare sound in the second verse of uh, what feels like eternity is pitched up about a, you know, a tone and a half too far. And I went in and fixed it. And it's like, okay, well, that's great. Like all those millions of little details, we had time and mental space, um, you know, uh, to, to do and, and to execute. And, um, and I think that in a lot of ways, you know, we have, we have gotten better at our, at our craft and, and uh, it's something that seems almost sort of strange that the norm is that you don't get better. Um, the norm, especially in music is that you kind of like, you come out super strong and you have like a great record. And then everyone's like, Oh, the sophomore slump, like you're probably going to suck <laughs> the second time around, you know? And then it's just like, and then most bands like get frustrated because of the sophomore slump. And then like, you know, the drummer sleeps with the singer's wife and then they break up, you know? And it's like, that's sort of like, the usual way that it goes you know it seems like like people have said to us a lot in the last you know month of of, of doing of doing interviews and you know people are like you know you guys are still doing this after 20 years and you seem to be getting better um what the hell's going on with that like why is that your reality um and it's such an interesting question to me because that was always the point you know like um i guess we're very very fortunate in the sense that uh, we've been able to sort of execute it and, and, um, we've been there for each other and the band's really emotionally supportive of each other. And we're, we're, we're like a family. And, um, 
you know, there's, there's definitely some good fortune that's gone along with it. But I always think of this, like there was this great, like, uh, and there was a great basketball game about a year and a half ago, like in the middle of the pandemic. And the, the, at the end of the game, the Toronto Raptors, the Toronto basketball team was down by like two points. And with less than a second, the guy, the guy who wouldn't normally win a game takes a three point shot. He hits the shot. And everyone after the, all the press after the game, they're like, they're like, what were you thinking when you hit the shot? And he was like, well, I don't shoot to miss, you know, like, <laughs> like, well, were you surprised you hit the shot? He's like, no, I, like, I wasn't expecting to miss the shot, you know? And that's kind of like where we're at is like, I don't, I wouldn't, I wasn't expecting to be worse than when we started, you know, I was expecting to be better every single time. And um, I guess I'm grateful that we are. Of course. Well, I think personally the fans and, and the public are very glad that you, you haven't taken the, the Fleetwood Mac uh, <laughs> path of, um, of the band breaking up and, you know, doing all those things. We're very glad you are still here. This record, uh, as you mentioned, there was a lot of time. Uh, there was a lot of space not to get too COVID heavy in, in an interview. Um, I think over the last two years, we've seen a lot of records that could be referred to as like a, as a COVID album. Um, and that it's usually like a bit of a quieter, more introspective kind of record. I think this is like the, the end, what's the, what's the word? Like it's the opposite of that. It seems to be the darker side of COVID, if you will. I think even with that first track, Doom Scroller, which um, is a brilliant way to start a record. For anyone who hasn't listened to the record, I'll put the, uh, the link to the album in the show notes of this podcast. But what I guess the process of writing Doom Scroller, how did that, track come about and what was it that kind of led you to go yep we're just going to keep building on this and building on this to the point where it's this enormous 10 minute kind of uh giant of a track (laughs) well it wasn't it wasn't something that we conceptually set out to do to make a big statement piece at all it was um it was it was more uh just this like very down-to-earth process where um, Jimmy and Liam had created this, that preliminary piece of music, you know, um, that was so visual to me and sounded like the way I felt. Um, and I had one of the most like clear, uh, writing experiences I've ever had in my life with that piece of music. Like I just was listening to it and I was like, I hear it. I hear the, I hear everything and I know what to say. So those guys were coming over. We were recording in my house at the time because everything was upended. And I said, can you just set up the mic and just don't talk to me? <laughs> Let me just lay this down. And, uh, you know, I think we did a couple takes and that's what's on the record. Like that's, that was really cohesive. Um, and then I, I was just like, I don't even know what this is. I just, this, this is important. Um, and I said, I, you know, I feel like this is so you know, Jimmy referred to it as like the Berlin, like techno, I don't know, whatever that, like, uh, 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 like it's so industrial and, you know, uh, and scary. <laughs> it's like scary sounding. And I felt like, you know, we need a, we need to end on an organic note. And I kind of just wanted to write like a coda on piano that would end the song. And then what I presented to, to Jimmy and Liam, they were like, oh, whoa, that, I love that. We got to develop that which is really the the sort of counterpoint to that of saying like, you know, if you're going to take something for the pain that you're feeling, it shouldn't be something to suppress it or conceal it. It should be something to expose it and articulate it 
and actually free you from it, which is a huge distinction in your choices of medication, right? Like whatever that may be for you. But uh, so then it was like, oh, okay, I guess we're, we're developing that. And then we landed there. I was like, oh, this feels good. But now where do we go? Cue Jimmy. He was like, I hear it. It's this euphoric guitar moment. This is what this has to be. You know, within minutes, it felt like these guys have mapped out this this next section. And honestly, I feel like if we'd felt there was another emotion that was part of this kind of piece, like another color, I swear to God, we would have done it. But in in this case, we were like, it felt like now we landed. You get the last of the acoustic guitar. The trolls are kind of beeping away in the background. And that's when I think we were like, oh, wow. Okay. uh Uh-oh. That's 10 and a half minutes. Oops. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So it wasn't like a a conceptual thing at all. It just kind of happened. That's very, very cool. I think that, um, yeah, it is a brilliant way to start a record. It's a brilliant track that I feel like kind of sets the tone again. It's not a COVID record, but it seems to either deal with the harsh reality of kind of what was going on uh, over the last 18 to 24 months. Um, And then I think the other part of the record that deals with it in a non-direct way is it seems to be, I think, the title track and one or two other tracks in just a... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Feeling of almost that... Uh, letting go and a combination of um, letting go and just that I think not being in control as we all kind of thought we were previously, I guess is the best way to, to word that. Um, Was the songwriting process for that as maybe freeing as the thought of it was itself, if that makes sense? (laughs) No, totally. I, I mean, that song, we needed that song for our own sanity at that point, like Formentera was a feeling. It was like, we have no way of getting access to this feeling other than generating it ourselves. Hence the like sonic oasis, you know? And it wasn't like a casual thing. It was urgent. (laughs) Like (laughs) I remember where I was at at that point. And I was like, like so many of us, like just not well. And it was, it was, I wasn't even, you know, there was such a sense of like, you know, there's even though, okay, we have some extra time to work on these things. It's just like zero guarantee of, you know, what will be on the other side of this, particularly for people who do what we do for a living. And that's still the case, right? I mean, it's completely, everything is upside down and chaotic and unknown. And there's so much extra uncertainty. And 
that that the writing of that song was literally for me like I have maxed out you know the lining up all the numbers under the names of Doom Scroller because you know it's not even you can let those, I guess those could be COVID deaths they could also be you know children massacred I mean it's just endless right once you start going down down the Doom Scrolling path. And I, I was all the way down that road where I was like, this is, I am not a functional human being. I'm so depressed and anxious and of no use to anyone. So I think part of the potency of this album is like, this is not like us, you know, whimsically mucking around here. It was like, this is important um, survival level. And so Formentera, the song, like, and I felt it like we're, we're playing it now uh, for the tour, like preparing it. It's just, it actually does the thing. Like even just talking about it, I just feel like I take a deeper breath. And it was just like, you know, it's unsustainable what you think you can control, the helplessness that you feel for other people's suffering. You can be compassionate. You can you can care. But the fact is, you're, you are powerless. So what are you going to do? So yeah, I'm so happy that this seems to be translating for people and like the way that you described it is exactly you picked up on the process for sure. I'm beautiful. I'm I'm well yeah, I think that it's it doesn't seem to just be a lyrical kind of thing. It seems to be that the songs um sounds a little bit naff, so I apologize, but um it seems to be the song's feeling, the emotion behind the song, even the driving sonics behind it kind of I think drive home that feeling as well, as well as the lyrics. So um, you just mentioned getting ready for tour. I know that I think in about a week's time or so, you're about to head out on the road and it looks like you guys are doing it properly. You're out till I think about February. Um, how are you feeling about getting out there and properly being able to tour the world again and um, and take metric around the globe? I mean, Australia is missing. So that really bumps us out. Bumps so, us out, man. We yeah. gotta get- so it's your... And only your responsibility to book us <laughs> Australian tour, do all the promotion. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it, I mean, we're we're like it's really twofold. It's 2022, where like for some reason you pour a glass of water and the glass doesn't work. Like I don't, I don't, not sure why the glass doesn't the world, work. In the world feels broken. It's just it like everything for some reason is eight times harder than it's supposed to be. So. In some ways, we're like really, really excited. And it was so enjoyable for the last, you know, 10 days rehearsing um, and playing these songs with the band. And it's so, it's like the four of us are such a deep family and and it's just so good to be back with that family, you know? Um, I think we're all slightly realistic about the state of, of things and knowing that, you know, it's, it might not feel like it did. We don't know what it's going to feel like. Um, there's going to be hiccups. Those hiccups, um, might be more like, um, you know, choking. Yeah, like, you know, <laughs> they might feel like giant hiccups, like you can breathe for five minutes, but, um, I think we're going to go into it. Like we've always gone into everything, which is just like, this is for the love of music, the love of each other, and for the love of all the people who are going to be in the room. I know that uh, we've spoken to some people who are um, in the US and Canada and in Europe who are very excited. You, you kind of uh, beat, me to, beat me to the punch in relation to getting to Australia. Is there any plans at the moment or, again, 
as you mentioned, shall I start the the planning? Shall I get my books out? No, there's 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 there are definite <laughs> plans. Um, I mean, it's a uh, you should see there you should see our conference calls. They usually start with me going like, so where's the touring plans? <laughs> let's go. We want to go to Australia, New Zealand, Asia. Let's go. I have uh, let's see, I got twenty twenty three open. Let's get let's do this. <laughs> That is very exciting to hear. I know that there's a lot of um, Australia. You guys do have a lot of Australian fans down here, um, and I think that there is quite a love for metric. Um, I know we that. Been and I think so long. We, like last time we were there was ten years ago. I was. That's what I was going to touch on. Was that it has been a while between drinks for uh, yourselves and 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 us here. Um, I know that you've touched on it recently. I think in interviews. So I'm sorry to rehash it if it is a bit of a boring point. Um, that. It seems that while trends, everything else is a bit cyclical, uh, as as they always are throughout the decades, um, that indie from the late 2000s to early 2010s seems to be coming back around. I know that I think you've recently spoken about indie sleaze um, and, and how that's become a bit of a trend again as a young man who was coming up in that time. That was very much my generation. I was just wondering on your thoughts, um, I guess your favourite kind of memories from that time. I mean, that was my crowd surfing peak. That's Em <laughs> was fearless at the front fearless. of the stage. Like we're talking like <laughs> 10 feet between the stage and the barricade. Over she goes. <laughs> the best uh, one I think ever was I jumped off the speaker stack or no, jumped off the stage on live television in Canada um, I cut to commercial um, with her in midair because they had no idea what was going to happen. When she <laughs> and I wasn't, yeah. I don't, it was we were playing Monster Hospital, I think. Yeah, yeah, we were. Um, it's not like I talked about it with you guys. It's not like I talked about it with myself. I just had that, you know, spirit. So uh, I mean, it's funny, you know. Go, look, looking back at it, it's like it's funny. Be, it's not like it's, it, it has a context now, again, back to the, like, you know, whether, where you're, where you are in this, in the, in the narrative. And, and it's like, at the time we didn't know that there was, that that was the narrative, you know? Um, it was like, it was a fun time, but it was also a super hard time. And, you know, all those bands starting out, you know, we lived in a loft in Brooklyn with uh, Nick and Karen. Yeah. were in the same loft as us. And, Jillio from TV on the radio and um, Angus from Liars and Torque and Chris from Stars. And like, I mean, there was so many bands. It was like, you know, we were, we were like the landlords. Like it was a crazy thing. But at the time it felt like the least rock and roll thing ever. It was just like, whoever's got 50 cents, like give it to me so I can buy like a bun and put some cheese on it. You know, like that's, it didn't, feel all that great at the time. And then later on, you know, you're talking to someone a few years later and you're like, yeah, I used to live in this loft. Oh, it was a hellhole. And we were like, wait a minute, that's like rock history that happened in that loft, you know? And it was very, very hard to see it at the time. Um, We are very excited because we're doing this Toronto show with Spoon and Interpol. And Interpol is like, the drummer from Interpol might be the reason that Metric is still together because he was working at this store in Brooklyn in early, early 2000, like I think it was 2000, maybe even 99. And um, he was working like the record section part of the store. And we knew him through a roommate of ours. 
And we were like not in a record deal and the record got shelved and we couldn't get our music out. And so we were burning CDs and bringing them to this clothing store that had a record section and giving them to Sam, who was then selling them. Sam's <laughs> wife was best friends with Jules's girlfriend. And so that's how Jules found out about us. And then he came to a show and came up to us afterwards and was like, you guys are my favorite band. And I was drunk and I was like, yeah, if we're so great. Why don't you join the band? We suck. And he was like, I'd love to join the band. I was like, great. What do you play? He was like, I play drums. You're in. Let's do this. And here we are 20 something years later. That's incredible. I do love that, as you said, that it's kind of, at the time, it doesn't seem like anything, but you look back on it. And even as you were listing off those names, I was thinking I would, I know that there's so many TV shows about lofts and friends living in some form of New York apartment. I would very much watch that version with yourselves. And <laughs> I would think that'd be a great uh, television experience. <laughs> so funny you say that too, because I remember being so livid about sex in the city at the time where I was like, I hate this. Like, okay, I guess that's, so that's being a feminist. Like I'm not, I'm not rich enough to be a feminist, I guess. Cause I live with a bunch of dudes and I'm cleaning the toilets and like it's a shared kitchen and like trying to get like I was like Lady Macbeth trying to get the smell of cat piss out of concrete. <laughs> By the way, can't done. Like I think everyone's memory of me at that time is just me walking up and down Bedford like with cleaning supplies. Like, you know, <laughs> it was so like just you know, the pictures that we have of all of us together are like, you know, dumpsters full of, you know, drywall. Like it's uh, there's it, there's no picture of anyone smiling. That was the aesthetic at the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. True. Um, Emily and Jimmy, thank you very much for your time today. I do appreciate it. Uh, congratulations on the new metric album form in Terra. And again, we do look forward to seeing you when you are down here in Australia. You'll Bye be now. the first. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> thank you so much. Bye. Bye. And that's our show. A massive thank you to Emily Haynes and Jimmy Shaw for their time. Formentera is out now, and we've left links in the show notes if you'd like to buy the record. We also want to give a huge shout out to Joe at Joe Corbett Publicity for helping out with today's interview. If you like this show, please subscribe wherever you get your pods and stay up to date when new episodes are released. We release new shows each Wednesday and Friday morning, and we now have a Patreon, which you can find within the show notes of this episode. You can follow the player's profile on Spotify, and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Until next week, cheers.